Chapter Three, Part One of Culture and Anarchy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Culture and Anarchy by Matthew Arnold. Chapter Three, Part One. From a man without a philosophy, no one can expect philosophical completeness. Therefore, I may observe without shame that in trying to get a distinct notion of our aristocratic our middle and our working class with a view of testing the claims of each of these classes to become a centre of authority i have omitted i find to complete the old-fashioned analysis which i had the fancy of applying and have not shown in these classes as well as the virtuous mean and the excess the defect also i do not know that the omission very much matters still as clearness is the one merit which a plain unsystematic writer without a philosophy can hope to have and as our notion of the three great english classes may perhaps be made clearer if we see their distinctive qualities in the defect as well as in the excess and in the mean let us try before proceeding further to remedy this omission it is manifest if the perfect and virtuous mean of that fine spirit which is the distinctive quality of aristocracies is to be found in lord elko's chivalrous style and its excess in sir thomas bateson's turn for resistance that its defect must lie in a spirit not bold and high enough and in an excessive and pusillanimous unaptness for resistance if again the perfect and virtuous mean of that force by which our middle class has done its great works and of that self-reliance with which it contemplates itself and them is to be seen in the performances and speeches of mr basley and the excess of that force and that self-reliance in the performances and speeches of the rev w cattle then it is manifest that their defect must lie in a helpless inaptitude for the great works of the middle class and in a poor and despicable lack of its self-satisfaction to be chosen to exemplify the happy mean of a good quality or set of good qualities is evidently a praise to a man nay to be chosen to exemplify even their excess is a kind of praise therefore i could have no hesitation in taking lord elko and mr basley the rev w cattle and sir thomas bateson to exemplify respectively the mean and the excess of aristocratic and middle-class qualities but perhaps there might be a want of urbanity in singling out this or that personage as the representative of defect therefore i shall leave the defect of aristocracy unillustrated by any representative man but with oneself one may always without impropriety deal quite freely and indeed this sort of plain dealing with oneself has in it as all the moralists tell us something very wholesome so i will venture to humbly offer myself as an illustration of defect in those forces and qualities which make our middle class what it is the two well-founded reproaches of my opponents declare how little i have lent a hand to the great works of the middle class for it is evidently these works and my slackness at them which are meant when i am said to refuse to lend a hand to the humble operation of uprooting certain definite evils such as church rates and others and that therefore the believers in action grow impatient with me the line again of a still unsatisfied seeker which i have followed the idea of self-transformation of growing towards some measure of sweetness and light not yet reached is evidently at clean variance with the perfect self-satisfaction current in my class the middle class and may serve to indicate in me therefore the extreme defect of this feeling but these confessions though salutary 
are bitter and unpleasant to pass then to the working class the defect of this class would be the falling short in what mr frederick harrison calls those bright powers of sympathy and ready powers of action of which we saw in mr odger the virtuous mean and in mr bradlaugh the excess the working class is so fast growing and rising at the present time that instances of this defect cannot well be now very common perhaps canning's needy knife-grinder who is dead and therefore cannot be pained at my taking him for an illustration may serve to give us the notion of defect in the essential quality of a working class or i might even cite since though he is alive in the flesh he is dead to all heed of criticism my poor old poaching friend zephaniah diggs who between his hair snaring and his gin-drinking has got his powers of sympathy quite dulled and his powers of action in any great movement of his class hopelessly impaired but examples of this defect belong as i have said to a bygone age rather than to the present the same desire for clearness which has led me thus to extend a little my first analysis of the three great classes of english society prompts me also to make my nomenclature for them a little fuller with a view to making it thereby more clear and manageable it is awkward and tiresome to be always saying the aristocratic class the middle class the working class for the middle class for that great body which as we know has done all the great things that have been done in all departments and which is to be conceived as chiefly moving between its two cardinal points of mr basley and the rev w cattle but inclining in the mass rather towards the latter than the former for this class we have a designation which now has become pretty well known and which we may as well still keep for them the designation of philistines what this term means i have so often explained that i need not repeat it here for the aristocratic class conceived mainly as a body moving between the two cardinal points of lord elcho and sir thomas bateson but as a whole nearer to the latter than the former we have as yet got no special designation almost all my attention has naturally been concentrated on my own class the middle class with which i am in closest sympathy and which has been besides the great power of our day and has had its praises sung by all speakers and newspapers still the aristocratic class is so important in itself and the weighty functions which mr carlyle proposes at the present critical time to commit to it must add so much to its importance that it seems neglectful and a strong instance of that want of coherent philosophic method for which mr frederick harrison blames me to leave the aristocratic class so much without notice and denomination it may be thought that the characteristic which i have occasionally mentioned as proper to aristocracies their natural inaccessibility as children of the established fact to ideas points to our extending to this class also the designation of philistines the philistine being as is well known the enemy of the children of light or servants of the idea nevertheless there seems to be an inconvenience in thus giving one and the same designation to two very different classes and besides if we look into the thing closely we shall find that the term philistine conveys a sense which makes it more peculiarly appropriate to our middle class than to our aristocratic for philistine gives the notion of something particularly stiff-necked and perverse in the resistance to light and its children and therein it specially suits our middle class who not only do not pursue sweetness and light but who prefer to them that sort of machinery of business chapels tea-meetings and addresses from mr murphy and the rev w cattle which makes up the dismal and illiberal life on which i have so often touched but the aristocratic class has actually as we have seen in its well-known politeness a kind of image or shadow of sweetness 
and as for light if it does not pursue light it is not that it perversely cherishes some dismal and illiberal existence in preference to light but it is seduced from following light by those mighty and eternal seducers of our race which weave for this class their most irresistible charms by worldly splendour security power and pleasure these seducers are exterior goods but they are goods and he who is hindered by them from caring for light and ideas is not so much doing what is perverse as what is natural keeping this in view i have in my own mind often indulged myself with the fancy of putting side by side with the idea of our aristocratic class the idea of the barbarians the barbarians to whom we all owe so much and who reinvigorated and renewed our worn-out europe had as is well known eminent merits and in this country where we are for the most part sprung from the barbarians we have never had the prejudice against them which prevails among the races of latin origin the barbarians brought with them that staunch individualism as the modern phrase is and that passion for doing as one likes for the assertion of personal liberty which appears to mr bright the central idea of english life and of which we have at any rate a very rich supply the stronghold and natural seat of this passion was in the nobles of whom our aristocratic class are the inheritors and this class accordingly have signally manifested it and have done much by their example to recommend it to the body of the nation who already indeed had it in their blood the barbarians again had the passion for field sports and they have handed it on to our aristocratic class who of this passion too as of the passion for asserting one's personal liberty are the great natural stronghold the care of the barbarians for the body and for all manly exercises the vigour good looks and fine complexion which they acquired and perpetuated in their families by these means all this may be observed still in our aristocratic class the chivalry of the barbarians with its characteristics of high spirit choice manners and distinguished bearing what is this but the beautiful commencement of the politeness of our aristocratic class in some barbarian noble no doubt one would have admired if one could have been then alive to see it the rudiments of lord elko only all this culture to call it by that name of the barbarians was an exterior culture mainly it consisted principally in outward gifts and graces in looks manners accomplishments prowess the chief inward gifts which had part in it were the most exterior so to speak of inward gifts those which come nearest to outward ones they were courage a high spirit self-confidence far within and unawakened lay a whole range of powers of thought and feeling to which these interesting productions of nature had from the circumstances of their life no access making allowances for the difference of the times surely we can observe precisely the same thing now in our aristocratic class in general its culture is exterior chiefly all the exterior graces and accomplishments and the more external of the inward virtues seem to be principally its portion it now of course cannot but be often in contact with those studies by which from the world of thought and feeling true culture teaches us to fetch sweetness and light but its hold upon these very studies appears remarkably external and unable to exert any deep power upon its spirit therefore the one insufficiency which we noted in the perfect mean of this class lord elko was an insufficiency of light and owing to the same causes does not a subtle criticism lead us to make even on the good looks and politeness of our aristocratic class the one qualifying remark that in these charming gifts there should perhaps be for ideal perfection a shade more soul i often therefore when i want to distinguish clearly the aristocratic class 
from the philistines proper or middle class name the former in my own mind the barbarians and when i go through the country and see this and that beautiful and imposing seat of theirs crowning the landscape there i say to myself is a great fortified post of the barbarians it is obvious that that part of the working class which working diligently by the light of mrs gooch's golden rule looks forward to the happy day when it will sit on thrones with mr basley and other middle-class potentates to survey as mr bright beautifully says the cities it has built the railroads it has made the manufactures it has produced the cargoes which freight the ships of the greatest mercantile navy the world has ever seen it is obvious i say that this part of the working class is or is in a fair way to be one in spirit with the industrial middle class it is notorious that our middle class liberals have long looked forward to this consummation when the working class shall join forces with them aid them heartily to carry forward their great works go in a body to their tea-meetings and in short enable them to bring about their millennium that part of the working class therefore which does really seem to lend itself to these great aims may with propriety be numbered by us among the philistines that part of it again which so much occupies the attention of philanthropists at present the part which gives all its energies to organizing itself through trades unions and other means so as to constitute first a great working-class power independent of the middle and aristocratic classes and then by dint of numbers give the law to them and itself reign absolutely this lively and interesting part must also according to our definition go with the philistines because it is its class and its class instinct which it seeks to affirm its ordinary self not its best self and it is a machinery an industrial machinery and power and pre-eminence and other external goods which fill its thoughts and not an inward perfection it is wholly occupied according to plato's subtle expression with the things of itself and not its real self with the things of the state and not the real state but that vast portion lastly of the working class which raw and half developed hath long lain half hidden amidst its poverty and squalor and is now issuing from its hiding-place to assert an englishman's heaven-born privilege of doing as he likes and is beginning to perplex us by marching where it likes meeting where it likes bawling what it likes breaking what it likes to this vast residuum we may with great propriety give the name of populace thus we have got three distinct terms barbarians philistines populace to denote roughly the three great classes into which our society is divided and though this humble attempt at a scientific nomenclature falls no doubt very far short in precision of what might be required from a writer equipped with a complete and coherent philosophy yet from a notoriously unsystematic and unpretending writer it will i trust be accepted as sufficient but in using this new and i hope convenient division of english society two things are to be borne in mind the first is that since under all our class divisions there is a common basis of human nature therefore in every one of us whether we be properly barbarians philistines or populace there exists sometimes only in germ and potentially sometimes more or less developed the same tendencies and passions which have made our fellow-citizens of other classes what they are this consideration is very important because it has great influence in begetting that spirit of indulgence which is a necessary part of sweetness and which indeed when our culture is complete is as i have said inexhaustible thus an english barbarian who examines himself will in general find himself to be not so entirely a barbarian 
but that he has in him also something of the philistine and even something of the populace as well and the same with englishmen of the two other classes this is an experience which we may all verify every day for instance i myself i again take myself as a sort of corpus vile to serve for illustration in a matter where serving for illustration may not by every one be thought agreeable i myself am properly a philistine mr swinburne would add the son of a philistine and though through circumstances which will perhaps one day be known if ever the affecting history of my conversion comes to be written i have for the most part broken with the ideas and the tea-meetings of my own class yet i have not on that account been brought much the nearer to the ideas and works of the barbarians or of the populace nevertheless i never take a gun or a fishing-rod in my hands without feeling that i have in the ground of my nature the self-same seeds which fostered by circumstances do so much to make the barbarian and that with the barbarian's advantages i might have rivalled him place me in one of his great fortified posts with these seeds of a love for field sports sown in my nature with all the means of developing them with all pleasures at my command with most whom i met deferring to me every one i met smiling on me and with every appearance of permanence and security before me and behind me then i too might have grown i feel into a very passable child of the established fact of commendable spirit and politeness and at the same time a little inaccessible to ideas and light not of course with either the eminent fine spirit of lord elcho or the eminent power of resistance of sir thomas bateson but according to the measure of the common run of mankind something between the two and as to the populace who whether he be barbarian or philistine can look at them without sympathy when he remembers how often every time that we snatch up a vehement opinion in ignorance and passion every time that we long to crush an adversary by sheer violence every time that we are envious every time that we are brutal every time that we adore mere power or success every time that we add our voice to swell a blind clamour against some unpopular personage every time that we trample savagely on the fallen he has found in his own bosom the eternal spirit of the populace and that there needs only a little help from circumstances to make it triumph in him untamably the second thing to be borne in mind i have indicated several times already it is this all of us so far as we are barbarians philistines or populace imagine happiness to consist in doing what one's ordinary self likes what one's ordinary self likes differs according to the class to which one belongs and has its severer and its lighter side always however remaining machinery and nothing more the graver self of the barbarian likes honours and consideration his more relaxed self feels sports and pleasure the graver self of one kind of philistine likes business and money-making his more relaxed self comfort and tea-meetings of another kind of philistine the graver self likes trades unions the relaxed self deputations or hearing mr odger speak the sterner self of the populace likes bawling hustling and smashing the lighter self beer but in each class they are born a certain number of natures with a curiosity about their best self with a bent for seeing things as they are for disentangling themselves from machinery for simply concerning themselves with reason and the will of god and doing their best to make these prevail for the pursuit in a word of perfection to certain manifestations of this love for perfection mankind have accustomed themselves to give the name of genius implying by this name something original and heaven bestowed in the passion but the passion is to be found far beyond those manifestations of it to which the world usually gives the name of genius and in which there is for the most part a talent of some kind or other 
a special and striking faculty of execution informed by the heaven-bestowed ardour or genius it is to be found in many manifestations besides these and may best be called as we have called it the love and pursuit of perfection culture being the true nurse of the pursuing love and sweetness and light the true character of the pursued perfection natures with this bent emerge in all classes among the barbarians among the philistines among the populace and this bent always tends as i have said to take them out of their class and to make their distinguishing characteristic not their barbarianism or their philistinism but their humanity they have in general a rough time of it in their lives but they are sown more abundantly than one might think they appear where and when one least expects it they set up a fire which enfilades so to speak the class with which they are ranked and in general by the extrication of their best self as the self to develop and by the simplicity of the ends fixed by them as paramount they hinder the unchecked predominance of that class life which is the affirmation of our ordinary self and seasonably disconcert mankind in their worship of machinery therefore when we speak of ourselves as divided into barbarians philistines and populace we must be understood always to imply that within each of these classes there are a certain number of aliens if we may so call them persons who are mainly led not by their class spirit but by a general humane spirit by the love of human perfection and that this number is capable of being diminished or augmented i mean the number of those who will succeed in developing this happy instinct will be greater or smaller in proportion both to the force of the original instinct within them and to the hindrance or encouragement which it meets with from without in almost all who have it it is mixed with some infusion of the spirit of an ordinary self some quantity of class instinct and even as has been shown of more than one class instinct at the same time so that in general the extrication of the best self the predominance of the humane instinct will very much depend upon its meeting or not with what is fitted to help and elicit it at a moment therefore when it is agreed that we want a source of authority and when it seems probable that the right source is our best self it becomes of vast importance to see whether or not the things around us are in general such as to help and elicit our best self and if they are not to see why they are not and the most promising way of mending them now it is clear that the very absence of any powerful authority amongst us and the prevalent doctrine of the duty and happiness of doing as one likes and asserting our personal liberty must tend to prevent the erection of any very strict standard of excellence the belief in any very paramount authority of right reason the recognition of our best self as anything very recondite and hard to come at it may be as i have said a proof of our honesty that we do not attempt to give to our ordinary self as we have it in action predominant authority and to impose its rule upon other people but it is evident also that it is not easy with our style of proceeding to get beyond the notion of an ordinary self at all or to get the paramount authority of a commanding best self or right reason recognised the learned martinus scriblerus well says the taste of the bathos is implanted by nature itself in the soul of man till perverted by custom or example he is taught or rather compelled to relish the sublime but with us everything seems directed to prevent any such perversion of us by custom or example as might compel us to relish the sublime by all means we are encouraged to keep our natural taste for the bathos unimpaired i have formerly pointed out how in literature the absence of any authoritative centre like an academy tends to do this 
each section of the public has its own literary organ and the mass of the public is without any suspicion that the value of these organs is relative to their being nearer a certain ideal centre of correct information taste and intelligence or further away from it i have said that within certain limits which any one who is likely to read this will have no difficulty in drawing for himself my old adversary the saturday review may on matters of literature and taste be fairly enough regarded relatively to a great number of newspapers which treat these matters as a kind of organ of reason but i remember once conversing with a company of nonconformist admirers of some lecturer who had let off a great firework which the saturday review said was all noise and false lights and feeling my way as tenderly as i could about the effect of this unfavourable judgment upon those with whom i was conversing oh said one who was their spokesman with the most tranquil air of conviction it is true the saturday review abuses the lecture but the british banner i am not quite sure it was the british banner but it was some newspaper of that stamp says that the saturday review is quite wrong the speaker had evidently no notion that there was a scale of value for judgments on these topics and that the judgments of the saturday review ranked high on this scale and those of the british banner low the taste of the bathos implanted by nature in the literary judgments of man had never in my friend's case encountered any let or hindrance just the same in religion as in literature we have most of us little idea of a high standard to choose our guides by of a great and profound spirit which is an authority while inferior spirits are none it is enough to give importance to things that this or that person says them decisively and has a large following of some strong kind when he says them this habit of ours is very well shown in that able and interesting work of mr hepworth dixon's which we were all reading lately the mormons by one of themselves here again i am not quite sure that my memory serves me as to the exact title but i mean the well-known book in which mr hepworth dixon described the mormons and other similar religious bodies in america with so much detail and such warm sympathy in this work it seems enough for mr dixon that this or that doctrine has its rabbi who talks big to him has a staunch body of disciples and above all has plenty of rifles that there are any further stricter tests to be applied to a doctrine before it is pronounced important never seems to occur to him it is easy to say he writes of the mormons that these saints are dupes and fanatics to laugh at joe smith and his church but what then the great facts remain young and his people are at utah a church of two hundred thousand souls an army of twenty thousand rifles but if the followers of a doctrine are really dupes or worse and its promulgators are really fanatics or worse it gives the doctrine no seriousness or authority the more that there should be found two hundred thousand souls two hundred thousand of the innumerable multitude with a natural taste for the bathos to hold it and twenty thousand rifles to defend it and again of another religious organization in america a fair and open field is not to be refused when hosts so mighty throw down wager of battle on behalf of what they hold to be true however strange their faith may seem a fair and open field is not to be refused to any speaker but this solemn way of heralding him is quite out of place unless he has for the best reason and spirit of man some significance well but says mr hepworth dixon a theory which has been accepted by men like judge edmonds dr hare elder frederick and professor bush and again such are in brief the basis of what newman weeks sarah horton deborah butler and the associated brethren proclaimed in rolt's hall as the new covenant if he was summing up an account of the teaching of plato or st paul mr hepworth dixon could not be more earnestly reverential but the question is 
have personages like judge edmonds and newman weeks and elderess polly and elderess antoinette and the rest of mr hepworth dixon's heroes and heroines anything of the weight and significance for the best reason and spirit of man that plato and st paul have evidently they at present have not and a very small taste of them and their doctrines ought to have convinced mr hepworth dixon that they never could have but says he the magnetic power which shakerism is exercising on american thought would of itself compel us and so on now as far as real thought is concerned thought which affects the best reason and spirit of man the scientific thought of the world the only thought which deserves speaking of in this solemn way america has up to the present time been hardly more than a province of england and even now would not herself claim to be more than a breast of england and of this only real human thought english thought itself is not just now as we must all admit one of the most significant factors neither then can american thought be and the magnetic power which shakerism exercises on american thought is about as important for the best reason and spirit of man as the magnetic power which mr murphy exercises on birmingham protestantism and as we shall never get rid of our natural taste for the bathos and religion never get access to a best self and right reason which may stand as a serious authority by treating mr murphy as his own disciples treat him seriously and as if he was as much an authority as any one else so we shall never get rid of it while our able and popular writers treat their joe smiths and deborah butlers with their so many thousand souls and so many thousand rifles in the like exaggerated and misleading manner and so do their best to confirm us in a bad mental habit to which we are already too prone End of chapter 3, part 1